Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, bringing this week's message, our Associate Pastor to Families, Dr. Michael Wright. The message entitled, Jesus is Better Than Christmas. You know, uh, in 1992, I, uh, I was on staff at First Baptist Church of Winter Park, Florida. I was there for a number of years and, and felt called to work for an international uh, Bible teaching ministry, which I did for a number of years and was able to, to travel uh, all over the United States teaching the Bible and encouraging people and doing leadership, Christian leadership development and training. But when I resigned that, that post, that position, the church gave me a gift. And the gift that they gave me was this pen that I'm holding in my hand here. I know you can't see it, but if you were to uh, look this up online, uh, if you could see it and look it up, you would see this is a, a Mont Blanc pen. Um, I didn't even realize what they had given me. So I had used it for a number of years. I've done a lot of writing with it in my journals and, and uh, have enjoyed it for years. And, and then uh, over time, the, the cap got a little loose and I thought, well, one of these days I'll take it back to the Mont Blanc people and ask them to repair the cap. And, and in fact, I, when Natalie and I were out doing some Christmas shopping in Dallas, I found the, the Mont Blanc store and, and went to them with my pen and they, they looked at it and they said, oh yes, and they, they, they were familiar with the, the, the style of pen and, and I, I just asked, and I'd never asked this before, I said, how much is this pen worth? And they said, oh, this pen is $450. $450. Well, when I got this at 35 years old, I might have sold this on eBay or something. I, I had no idea I had been carrying around a pen that, that was worth that much at all. So uh, they repaired it and sent it back to me. And, and so I thought I would show you that pen only to, to make a point that, you know, sometimes we don't realize what we're seeing. Sometimes we don't realize the, the, the riches that are before us when we hear the gospel. When we have the Lord Jesus presented to us, sometimes we don't take time to really stop and take, take in all that God has done for us. And I think Christmas time is a great time to stop and do that, to take an accounting, to add it all up and to realize we can't add it all up, that God has done so much for us. It, it's, it's way beyond the pale, but nonetheless, we praise Him for it, and we should. But it comes when we take time to really consider the Lord Jesus. I want to ask you to join me in Hebrews chapter chapter 1, and then we're going to look at a verse in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, but I want to share with you today, I want to encourage you today how we are to pay much closer attention to Jesus Christ, and I think 
my, my heart's goal is that by the time we leave, we'll at least be a little bit closer to saying, yes, indeed, Jesus is better than Christmas. And what I mean by Christmas, I mean all of the things that we do around Christmas. The lights we may put on our homes or the, or our, the tree in our, in our homes or the gifts that we wrap or the gifts that we give and even, even the Christmas songs that we have warmed up to during Christmas time. I want to show you that Christ is better than all of that. You see, when the letter to the Hebrews was written, it it was done so about 60 years after the birth of Christ, about 30 years or so after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. And the writer of Hebrews, who, by the way, is unknown to us, I know there are theologians who would like to guess or at least suggest that maybe it's this person or that. Let's, let's leave it at, at at this, that the, that the writer of Hebrews is simply the Holy Spirit, that the person is not that important, but we do know that the Holy Spirit has authored this book. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew people, Jewish people, and I guess we could put the, the people into three categories, very similar to the categories we might put people in today, spiritually speaking. And that is, there were those who did not know Jesus, nor were interested in the Lord. That's category number one. Then there were those who knew Jesus, and they received Christ, and they loved Christ, and they, they, they left all the old ways, and everything had become new for them. Those Jewish brothers were believers in Christ, and that is perhaps who wrote the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. But then there are those people in the middle. Those are the people that have, have heard the wonderful story of the resurrected Jesus Christ. In fact, they believe that Jesus is resurrected. They believe that God has done something marvelous and miraculous. They've heard the story. They, they've tasted the gospel and they've, they say that it tastes very good. And they love it. And their hearts are warmed by it. And yet they have not yet come to a place in their life, these Jewish brothers that the writer writes to, they have not come to a place in their life where they've gone from the traditions of the Jewish life to the transformation of the Messiah life. They have not made that leap. They have not made that step. They're right at the edge. And perhaps there are people like that even Today, even here among us, those who love the Christmas story, they love singing the hymns, they like hearing the preachers preach, they like hearing the music on the radio, they're warmed up to it, but yet they have not made a step of saving faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ himself and left all that and declared Jesus the Savior and Lord and ruler of their life. That is what the writer of Hebrews is writing about in these portions 
of Scripture. For he calls these people his brothers. He's a Christian himself, but he's not calling them brothers because they know the Lord in saving faith. He's calling them brothers because they are brothers in the Hebrew faith. They, they're neighbors. They know one another. They, they know all about the angels. They know all about Moses. They know all about the miracles that God had done through Moses. They, they know all of this. And the writer steps up and says, hey, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And he goes on to talk about how how this Jesus, who is God, he's the exact imprint. If you were to take the, if you could do it, If you could take the fingerprint of of God and put it on paper and then ask Jesus to step over and put a fingerprint on that same piece of paper and if you were to measure and look at and examine very closely those two fingerprints, you would find out they're the exact same print. Jesus is God. And he says to his Hebrew brothers, he's better than the angels that we've talked about for many years. He's even better than Moses. And that was like blasphemy, you see, to the, to the Hebrew people to say that, that anyone's better than Moses. But he's saying that he's better than Moses. He's better than all. And that is why in chapter 2 and verse 1, look what he says. He says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He's saying to his brothers, because of the word that is used there, he's saying that we must not only just pay attention, but because of the modifier. See, the Greek word is prosecco, and it means to give attention to, but because of the modifier that's there in that Greek word, it, it, it has an emphatic tense. He's saying we must not just pay attention we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard about Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good word for us today? We are paying attention to Christ. We're celebrating Christmas. But the writer might come to us and say the same thing. We must pay much closer attention. If we were to put it in the English vernacular, we might say something like, Not only should we pay attention to Jesus, we should really, really, really pay much closer to Jesus. Much closer attention to him. And he says, this is the reason why. He says, lest we drift. 
The word that he uses there is a nautical term. Immediately in one's mind, you'd have the idea of a ship that's moored to the bank. It would be tied to the dock. And if it were securely tied down, no winds or no waves or anything could pull the ship away. He uses this term that that indicates that there is a possibility that if not tied down, if 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 we don't pay close attention to the knots that we tie and to the moorings that we have, that we've heard about the gospel, if we don't receive Christ, there might be a drifting away, a drifting out of the harbor, the safe harbor that is being offered, the harbor of salvation. And we might drift away from that harbor of salvation and we might drift right on out of the harbor into the, into the ocean, into the storms that, that would take us down before we could actually have a saving faith in Christ. That's basically what he's saying. You see, there's a great danger in drifting, isn't there? I mean, when you think about drifting, you don't think about a motor cranked up. That's not drifting. With propeller turning and and with a rudder taking a ship in a certain direction, drifting is, is dangerous because drifting, first of all, is quiet. You and I, if not careful, if we don't focus on Jesus every single day of our lives through the Word of God. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, I'll summarize it. He basically says, the Word of God equips the man of God to do the work of God. If we don't focus in on Christ through that Word of God... If we don't receive Christ as a result of, pain, of seeing what the, the Word says about Christ, we can drift away from the truth. And it's quiet. See, that's why it's so dangerous. If you've ever been on a, on a raft, if you've ever been on a, on a float, and you go out to, to some ocean, you might go to uh, Orange Beach or... Pensacola Beach or some beach on the, in the Gulf Coast and get out there on your float and, and just enjoy the day and, and you might stay there long enough, quiet enough to, and, then, and then after a time you look up and you see that you've drifted down the beach to some other location and you're saying, I don't know how I got here. And that is what happens when we hear the gospel, we hear about Jesus Christ, we, we hear about his resurrection at Easter, and we, we hear all that. If we don't come to a place where we receive Christ and pay attention to that, to that saving uh, faith that is offered to us, we drift. How many times have I heard, as people sometimes come to me and for counseling and direction, and they begin to explain their story. They're not saved. And here's what they in- inevitably say. They say, I don't understand how far, uh, how it happened, how far I have drifted away from the truth about Jesus Christ. I went to church when I was this high. I heard the gospel, but I never made it real in my life. And now here I am all of these years later. How did that happen? And that's because drifting is quiet and drifting is dangerous. And the writer says we must pay 
much closer attention to it, my Hebrew brothers. See, most people are not going to end up in hell because they intentionally plan to go there. People end up separated from Christ in that place of torment, not because they intentionally wanted to do it, but because they simply neglected the great salvation that was offered and they drifted and they drifted and they drifted. They heard the gospel, they did not receive Christ and they drifted away only to wake up and say, how did I end up here? Another danger of drifting is time. Time. You know, uh, one of the one of the hobbies that I've had in my life and have enjoyed in my life is, is flying general aviation aircraft. We have many pilots here in our church who could attest to the joy of learning to fly, and it was fun for me to learn to do that. One of the things that my instructor always used to tell me, by, by the way, my, my instructor, my first instructor was a very old man, and I remember thinking to myself, he is so old, I better learn how to land the plane first. If anything happens to him, I need to know how to land the plane. And when he did, he taught me how to do that first. That was good. But he used to always look at me with his little bent, crooked finger and say, first rule of thumb, fly the airplane. Then he would say, second, look at your instruments. And one of the instruments that's right in front of you, just over the yoke, is the heading instrument, the heading indicator. And this he taught me. He said, remember the 160 rule. He said, for every degree off you are on your heading, and for every 60 miles that you fly, one degree off of the true heading you should be on you will be one mile away from your destination. I mean, you'll be one mile off from your course. And of course, if you're flying three miles, and if you're flying 180 miles, you're three miles off course. If you're flying 1,800 miles, going at 600 miles an hour, you're off course a long way very quickly. But because drifting is quiet and drifting takes time, We can be so far away from what we've heard after a while if we don't receive Christ that we may not even recognize where we are. That is why time is of the essence. The writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You see, the danger of Christmas And the danger of Easter is if those are the only two times people attend and that's the only thing they've heard, that it's good that they've come, it's good that they've heard the gospel, that's good that that they have liked coming to church, it's all of that's wonderful, but just coming is one degree off of course. And if you wait 10 years and you wait 20 
and then you wait 30 or you wait 40, you don't know if you'll even be able to find your way back on the true north heading of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the encouragement to his Hebrew brothers from this writer was don't neglect it. Pay more attention to it. Here is Jesus. Leave the traditions, accept the transformation, and go on to the glory of God. That's true Christmas, you see. D.L. Moody, one of the great Chicago pastors, was preaching to his congregation the message of salvation. And early in his ministry, he would preach such a message to his congregation and send them out saying, think about this. Think about Think about receiving Christ and they would go out and he would say, come back next time and I will continue the message on Christ. Only one night after he'd preached a message like that, there was a great fire in Chicago. It broke out, killed many people and many from his own church. And he vowed after that event that he would never again deliver the gospel of Christ and not give an open invitation for people to receive the Lord. Why? Because time is of the essence. No one knows when the fuel is going to run out if you're not paying attention to that gauge. No one knows when life is going to end. He says pay Closer attention. And in verse, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, consider Jesus. That word consider means to study. That would be a great way to pay more attention to the Lord. Study the Lord Jesus Christ from the, from the written word of God. Study the living word from the written word. And you can experience a great transformation through that. Consider Jesus. The idea also, and you can also see this in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer says to consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That word consider means to weigh. Now, I would never do this, but I've often thought that how interesting it might be to put a, a, a scale here and at the front of the, this room and ask each and every one of you to step by and Place yourself on the scale and let's weigh you and record how much you weigh. How would you like that? Okay. You wouldn't like it. You wouldn't want anybody to know that. That's, that's why most of those things are in bathrooms where nobody else can see it. But we would learn something about you. You would learn something about me. It would be a very small slice of who I am. You might then want to measure how, how tall I am, which is only five foot eight and a half. By listening to me, you might pick up on where, where I grew up and you learn something about me. The writer of Hebrews says to his Hebrew brothers who are right on the edge of receiving Christ, hey, so that you'll know he's better than angels, so that you'll know he's better than Moses, so that you'll know he's better than all the traditions, weigh Jesus. Put him on the scale. Put all that stuff on one side and watch it tip down and then place Jesus, this mighty and glorious and weighty person who is God in the flesh. Put Jesus on the other side of that scale and you watch, it will tip and you will be able to see with your own eyes that Jesus is better than everything. Consider Jesus. Weigh him, study him. And the verdict will be, 
He's God. He's the Savior. And you, my Hebrew brothers, I beg you to then not to neglect the truth of what you discover. In chapter 3 and verse number 7, we see that we are to take care and we are not to harden our hearts. You see, that was the That was the danger of hearing the gospel over and over and then rejecting it. In verse 7 he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, by the way, the writer of Hebrews is now authenticating the words of Psalm 95 and many of the passages of Scripture that, that the Word of God is authored by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit says this. He's not saying I say it. He's saying God is saying this. And in verse 7 he says, Today, in chapter 3, verse 7, Today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. He's talking about the wilderness wanderings. Israel came right up to the very edge of going into the promised land. They were there at Kadesh Barnea and they, instead of going into the land, they sent spies and 10 of those spies who returned, 10 of the 12 who returned said, oh, we can't go in there. We'll be crushed. We'll be, we're like, we'll be like grasshoppers. We'll be crushed will be taken out. And, and that night, because of their report, the Bible says that the, all, the whole congregation of Israel wept bitterly because they became so afraid and their hearts became hardened. And verse 10 says, Therefore, this is God saying, I was provoked with that generation. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. You see, the promised land was that place, that symbolic place of rest. Dear friends, the writer of Hebrews is saying to his Hebrew brothers, you'll never come to rest until you you trade in this doubt about Christ for faith in Christ. You will not ever be at rest in your fear of what it might be like to live for the Lord. You will never overcome it until you actually put your faith and trust in Christ and live for the Lord. And that's what he's saying to them. That would be a great message for us to say, oh, if we really want to live lives of peace and understand the Prince of Peace, we must then put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So, we are told to take care. And finally, in verse, in chapter 3, and in verse 13, I love these these, uh, verses that are here. He says, instead of having a hard heart, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says to his Hebrew brothers, let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other about the gospel. Let's encourage each other about Christ. 
Because sin is, is ever there to separate us from the Lord, but let us encourage each other to come to Christ. Just as today, my hope and my prayer to you this morning is to encourage each and every one of you to not live in fear, but be encouraged to trust Christ with your whole heart. That would be the best Christmas gift you have ever, ever received. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they gave me this pen. I didn't know what I had. And as I was preparing the message for today, I thought of this pen. And then I also thought about how Jesus is an author. Hebrews chapter 12, consider Jesus, weigh Jesus, why? Because he's the author and he's the perfecter of faith. He will write faith into your heart. You say, I'm not a very good person of faith. Don't worry, Jesus will help you with that. And then he not only will he give you the faith to believe in him, but then over the years, instead of drifting and drifting, over the years, he will perfect your faith. You will face this trial and this test and this thing will come along and, and, there, and there will be all kinds of trials, multicolored trials, and Jesus will be there to take you not around it, but through it and through that, he will perfect your faith to his honor, to his glory, and to his pleasure. What a great gift. Why don't you let Jesus write his name in your heart today? Why don't you ask the Lord to come into your life? Beg Him to receive you because you're a sinner. Confess it that you're a sinner and receive Christ. He doesn't want to bash you over the head. He wants to transform your mind to know Him and to love Him. What a great Christmas gift you could receive. Would you do that today? If you're a Dad, you're a grandfather and you're wondering what's the best thing I can do for my family? Trust Christ, follow Christ. You're a mom, a grandmother, you're saying what can I do for my family? Trust Christ, have faith in Christ. Receive Him. Make Him better than Christmas. Make Him Christmas of your heart. Let's pray. Lord, (laughs) you're so good to us. You make it clear. You have spoken. You spoke in many ways in the past, but now most clearly through Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. Thank you for salvation. And Lord, we ask you to help us now make a decision, each and every one of us, those who don't don't know the Lord, to come to you. And those who already know you to maybe rededicate the life, to study again, to make 2017 a year of study, of weighing, and being transformed by the person of Christ. Thank you. And Lord, may anyone who needs to respond do so now. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. 
to learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.